Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Window Seat, recorded live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Broadcast on Full Service Radio and presented by Amila, the Adams Morgan Youth Leadership Academy. The people at Amila are always really gracious to us. They help us uh, book guests and they do more important things in the community. Um, and if you happen to know Nigel, Mr. Amila, that's what I'm going to call him, and have, like, get the privilege of walking through D.C. with him, you realize he knows everyone. He knows everyone because he's done a lot in this community. Um, did I say my name, Mr. Francis? No, you did not. I'm your, I'm your host, Christopher Price. <laughs> I have uh, Mr. Francis with me. Mr. Mari Francis, how are you today? I'm great, as usual. Alexia. We have Alexia. So we don't have Jack with us today, but we have a very important person in the back. How are you? I'm good. How are you all? I'm feeling really good i'm feeling special yeah, me man, too i'm excited yeah, I, was, I was listening to uh nina simone um just a moment ago and i feel like that was on time for this interview i don't know why but i i do um mr francis do you have anything to say before we <laughs> yeah no, I'm, I'm just i'm just kind of going today you know it's, it's one of those days <laughs> Say what? Do I have to call you Mr. Francis? Is no, you don't have to. Oh. I, I, Chris calls just, me Mr. Francis. I got just want to make sure. I used but to call yeah. him um, Mr. Mr. President. President. I'll tell you why about that, but go ahead. Um, I mean, well, all I got to say is I'm excited. I'm excited about today's guest. This is somebody who uh, I've read about in the newspaper for a long time. He's been making some uh, a little bit of a lot of bit of noise in D.C. Uh, all for a good purpose and a good cause. So I'm interested in learning about um, him. Can I tell you why I'm in- interested? No, you can't. No, go um, ahead. Yeah. I was telling you this a while ago. I think if I were an athlete and I made millions of dollars, I think one of the first things that would come to mind on how I was going to spend my money would be to like open a restaurant. And so um, through dating, I've learned that it's a business that requires a lot of your time. And now I don't know if I would do it um, but I think there's other people I hear that, you know, if they were just given a lot of money, they would do the same thing. So, like, I'm interested in the business behind today's guest. Did you say through dating? Well, yeah, the, the girl I was with for, like, five years. Her family owned a restaurant. They owned Canada. Oh, I see. I on see. 18th Street. Got right. It. So, like, she's always... Well, that's a great place. It is a great place. I'm not taking anything from it. But okay. I, I notice how much it affects their family. It's just... It's always there and it always requires attention. So it just changed my perspective hmm. on that place as a business. Hmm. And this particular owner of a restaurant <laughs> has won the Mayor's Arts Award, Martha's Table, Martha's Table Luminary Award, Mayor's Environmental Award, a lot of awards, United Nations Human Rights Community Award, Where's Champions of Democracy Award. Google, I had them man. stacked all in my basement. Right. <laughs> That's how I do it. <laughs> It's a long list of awards. You were named one, I was of, for target shooting. one of the year, uh, man of the year by the Washington Post Peace Center. Just think about that. Founding member of the Think Local First DC, founder of the Peace Ball. 
You were a mayoral candidate? I was. And uh, uh, obviously I didn't make it. Well, you made it. <laughs> you made it. And you are... Um, you make whatever you want make of it, right? That's right. You're the owner of the I- iconic Bus Boys and Poets franchise. Wait, wait. Let me back up. It ain't a franchise. It's not? It's not. We, no. Restaurants. Restaurant group. Restaurant group. Mr. Andy Shalal. Alexi, where did, where's, where's the, the game? Where's uh, the, the applause? applause? What are you doing? Do you have an applause meter? Is that <laughs> yeah, right? we got it. Oh, that, that, that was Our audience. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you Y'all all. Calm Thank down. you. Thank calm you. Calm down. Down. Please, you can all sit down now. Um, there was something you said in there. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it about... <clears throat> was it the restaurant? I love being able to take a pause on the mic because a couple of episodes back, I couldn't do that. I felt uncomfortable about having to think. Um, I lost my train of thought, though, so you go ahead. Okay. We, uh, you know, in doing a little bit of research about you, I heard a TED Talk. I didn't know you did TED Talks. I learned a lot about you that I didn't know doing some research. And mm-hmm. you talked about... Um, your motivation for opening Busboys and Poets. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about it? I mean, I lived in Washington for most of my life. Um, I come originally from Iraq. I'm an immigrant, a Muslim, brown person. I uh, didn't feel like I fit in. It just wasn't, uh, America was not a uh, hospitable place for someone like me when I first got here. Um, still isn't in many ways, I have to say. Sometimes it gets better, sometimes it gets worse. Uh, we're sort of at a worse moment right now, but hey, uh, I'm not complaining too much. I got to do something about it because if you complain, you got to fix it. You can't just complain. Um, but I decided that I wanted a place that I really wanted to feel comfortable going to myself. Mm-hmm. I want a place that feels like Washington, looks like Washington, smells like Washington, has the vibe of D.C. Uh, you know, I wanted, I wanted a real D.C. place. And uh, because I didn't feel like I felt comfortable going in any other place. So DC to me is what Busboys and Poets is. Mm-hmm. It has all the elements. It's got books. Smart people live in DC. A lot of smart people live here. Uh, it's got bars, it's got a lounge, it's got a stage. We do open mics, we do poetry, do lots of that kind of stuff. And conversations on race, conversations on politics. Uh, you name it. We like to talk about it. It's, it's very easy being from here. And taking that place for granted. And I thought about it while prepping for this show, how unique it actually is. Because if I was describing the place to someone in Philadelphia who maybe hasn't been to Washington, D.C. or been to a bus, boys and poet, I don't know if they would get it because it's more than a restaurant. Right. All those things that you said when you were starting the restaurant and you were telling people about your idea, your vision. um, How did they receive that? Because. Uh. It's ironic that you mentioned Philadelphia. I met with people today from Philly who want to do a bus boys and poets there. So it's... Business is booming. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned Philadelphia of all places. Um, but um, what was the question? Like, just, just, just in, in, in the idea part of the restaurant, you know, how was it, re- how was it received? Because I'm thinking, all right, I want to book a, a place where someone can buy books and get food. Like... Like I said, I take it for granted, but there's not a lot of restaurants that you can do that. At. I don't know if I've been to any other that are, well, look like busboys. You know, when I first started uh, to 
I needed a loan. And I took my business, quote-unquote, business plan. I didn't know what a business plan was. Just, you know, because you tell people what you're going to do. That's what a business plan is. Uh, and I told bankers, I said, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to do a bookstore and a restaurant. And I want to serve coffee. And I want to have free Wi-Fi. And I want to have poetry. Like, give me some money. And they said, uh, no, thank you. Uh, you know, it was the idea was what they couldn't figure out is how the synergy works. When you bring all these things together, they don't just add up one plus one plus one. They really become exponentially. Uh, they explode. Uh, that's why I think it works, because the synergy is what makes it work, having all these elements together. Uh, without the bookstore, without the poetry, without the bar, without the lounge, without one, any one of these elements, I think it would be a different place. I wanted a place that's kind of like embraces everything to me that represents D.C., the art we have on the wall, the people we hire, the, uh, the kind of uh, programming that we do, the poetry we do, the drinks we sell. All these things are representative of D.C., and I just wanted that to be out there front. A lot of um, restaurants, especially now, they try to use um, the history of D.C. in their naming, in their branding, uh, to encourage people to... to you know, patronize their yeah. restaurant, restaurant, or live in their um, their apartment buildings, the condos that they're building, and you do the same. But it's it's you have a deeper meaning, right? It was something that was um, well, important to you. I mean, the city's changing dramatically. Uh, you can look around, and see it. You can look around here and see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, so of course, the idea of cultural appropriation is on people's minds, and it's a very important issue. And I think it it should, it should not be diminished. It's a it's a serious issue. Uh, cultural appropriation is when you take an image uh, that represents a certain thing, or a certain idea, or a certain value, and you exploit it. And by exploiting it, you just use it, just for the sake of the aesthetics of that image. Mm-hmm. I saw a hotel called the Revolution in Philadelphia where they have you know, postcards with uh, Malcolm X and they have like Malcolm X pictures everywhere and they got like revolutionary pictures on the walls and I have no idea what that hotel is about, frankly, and I don't mean to disparage any business, but I wonder whether or not the owners or the developers even care who, Mar- who Malcolm X is, know anything about his history, know anything about what his ideas were, have I read anything about Malcolm X? I'm not sure. Uh, sometimes it just feels, you know, when you're paying $450 uh, a night in a room and you got a Malcolm X picture, it feels a little awkward. Um, so I think that's kind of strange. So I know there are places in D.C. that are trying to capture that sort of um, black culture. Because mm-hmm. as, as James Baldwin said, you know, white people love black culture, but don't like black people. Um, and I think it's important to understand that, cult, to me, to me, uh, having been here in America, kind of coming from outer space almost, coming in here and figuring this out, um, I never made a distinction about black culture and white... I didn't know there was a white culture. Like, I, I didn't know what that meant. To me, the culture I have at Busboys and Poets is American culture. Now it has a black aesthetic, mm-hmm. if you are focused on it. But to me, that's what people see outside the United States as American culture. Right. You know, that's how they perceive American culture. They perceive American culture by the hip-hop, by 
music that 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 is uh, you know by by the kind of programming that we do and the kind of music that we do and the kind of art that we do, and most of it is black culture, uh, if you want to be specific. But it's really American culture. So I don't like to make the distinctions necessarily. I really think that there's got to be a more intentional effort to own that culture as American culture instead of separating it and making it just black culture here and then the rest, everything else is American culture because I don't know what that means. So for me, culture appropriation would be when you just don't honor and uplift and respect and appreciate and go deep to try to explain. When I have a picture of Langston Hughes up on the wall, it's not just a picture of Langston. We have actually poetry programs talk about Langston Hughes. We talk about his life. We talk about his importance. We talk about let America be America again. We talk about the Negro Speaks of the Rivers. We talk about these types of revolutionary poems that made such a huge impact that without which Martin Luther King wouldn't have written his speeches, without which Lorraine Hansberry wouldn't have written A Raisin in the Sun, without which none of these things would have happened. So we really try to go deeper and get people to understand, appreciate, and respect the depth, the depth of black culture that is part of American culture. Can you take a moment and uh, tell us how you got your name? Uh, my personal name? No, no. I, oh, the, uh, uh, Bus the Boys and Poets? Yeah, because... Um, Bus Boys and Poets is named after Langston Hughes, as I mentioned. Um, it, it was funny because it's in a building called the Langston Lofts. And um, I'm not sure that many people that were buying in the Langston Lofts even had any idea of Langston Hughes' existence, his importance, whether he, he's a poet or whether he's a, a developer. They, they don't know. Uh, I, 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 I don't think. Uh, when I saw it, I mean, I had studied Langston Hughes as a youngster, and I love poetry. So for me, it was a natural fit to name a place where Langston Hughes is at the center um, of, of the space. And Langston Hughes, of course, has so many dimensions to himself, so many dimensions to his life and how he saw his identity and how he saw his life. And I really can relate to him. Personally, I can relate to him. Um, so I, uh, the name Busboys and Poets, he was working as a busboy not far from here, the Wardman Park Hotel, where uh, one day a famous poet back then, who hardly people know today, by the name of Vacha Lindsay, happened to walk in, in the dining room, the young Langston Hughes, this is 1925, uh, at the height of Jim Crow, uh, a black man like him couldn't do much else other than work in those types of jobs, or, you know, maybe write or something like that, but, you know, there was a lot of changes happening, but, but certainly not enough to, um, to allow a black man of his age to be free, do whatever he wants, but, so he worked as a busboy in this hotel where Vachel Lindsay was coming for a poetry conference where Langston Hughes couldn't attend because it was a black man, but he was a busser. He was a busboy. He could work as a busboy. He put the poetry next to Vachel Lindsay. Uh, Vachel Lindsay looked at it from a distance. He nodded his head approvingly. The next day on the way to work, Langston Hughes picked up the newspaper and on the front it said that um, Vachel Lindsay had discovered a busboy poet. Uh, that sort of launched, uh, in a way, launched uh, Langston Hughes' career when he got to the hotel. Paparazzi were taking his pictures and people were really excited about the fact that there is this poet. Of course, there's a lot of weird things about that story. The fact that you have a headline like that. <laughs> like today, you wouldn't see a headline like that. And the fact that people really respected and honored poets to such a level 
as to make it to such a big deal. Um, so that, that's kind of exciting. So that's where the name comes from. I asked that question, um, having heard you t- tell that story before, and you talked about you and Langston, you, you just basically um, being able to, I don't know where my words have gone today. Yeah. Like they have left my body. <laughs> um, but just being able to relate to Langston Hughes, for me, like, I guess that person would be Jay-Z in my life. I'm just wondering what struck a chord within, you know, a young immigrant, why, why you held on and decided to build your business behind this man. Well, Langston Hughes was, um, was a young man uh, who uh, was trying to figure out his identity. Uh, he lived in the United States, of course. He was born in 1902. Uh, Jim Crow was alive and well back then, and it was very difficult for him. His father really hated living in America, hated the, uh, the racial weight that he had to carry, the racism that he had to face, uh, face every day. So he moved out. He left and went to Mexico, married a Mexican woman. Um, he ended up, so, 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 so Langston Hughes went to visit him um, and um, uh, d- didn't really get along with his father that well. But he was still trying to discover himself. So he decided that the only way that a black man living in America at that time can find themselves is to leave America. Because you couldn't find yourself in America. You were constrained in a box that was very hard to get out of. So he left and traveled. He, 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 he got on ships uh, and worked on, on, on boats in order for him to travel across the world. Went to places like Paris and, uh, and um, uh, Kazakhstan and uh, uh, Moscow and places like that. Uh, went to Cuba, went to, you know, all over, all over the world and realized that, you know, although there was racial uh, issues in other parts of the world, it, it was nothing like America. You can actually sit down at a bar next to a white man in Paris and have a drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually walk down the street freely and not be harassed. Uh, all these things were like a surprise to him because that's not how America responds to race. So he really felt uh, a sense of freedom and, and self-discovery. Uh, when he came back, he was a much uh, richer person uh, uh, internally. He was able to uh, fend off the racism and fend off the other stuff because he knew uh, this was crazy shit. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he wanted he knew that there was a better way and there's other ways and other cultures that do it so much better than, uh, than America was doing it. And Stuart started writing about that in a very serious way. When he said, let America be America again, he was actually speaking about the America that is the values. It's not the country. It's about the values that this country is about, right? Um, it's not about enslavement. It's not about the hatred is not about, it's about loftier values of freedom and openness and dreams and all blah, 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 blah. Uh, so he was speaking about that in a very serious way and, um, and started to write about it and became a very vocal uh, uh, voice uh, against racism and against uh, you know, the segregation that was so rampant in America at that time. This may be my um, prejudice coming out, but I, I find it really interesting that a uh, Iraqi mm-hmm. immigrant mm-hmm. Um, would be so interested in black culture, which you call American culture, mm-hmm. and a Harlem Renaissance to study it to such a degree and have it inspire you. Um, well, um, I was able to relate much more so to that culture than I was to white culture. White culture was foreign to me. It was a... Um, um, it was an uncomfortable 
space for me to be in. Um, I felt that the richness of the Harlem Renaissance, the richness of the music and the art and the writing and the literature um, and the poetry was such that it, it really made me feel much more American than the, the, when I was in a group of predominantly white people, I felt very foreign. I don't feel that when I'm with a group of a lot of black people. I feel less foreign. Uh, I think, you know, it's a lot of times when we think here in the United States, we're so kind of backwards in the way that we perceive things because this country was built on upside down, really, uh, in a very strange way. Um, uh, sometimes when we think in terms of, um, when we say minorities, you know, black people will say, you know, I'm a minority, right? Um, and the reality is, like, the world is 8% white. And the rest of it is brown and black. So we keep referring to ourselves as minorities, no matter where you are. You know, um, it's, it's, I, th I find that fascinating, uh, how we kind of internalize the, that sort of colonized mind that keeps coming out and, and really forces people uh, to think less you know, minority, less um, than the perceived majority. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's completely a, a made-up thing, you know? And I, anytime somebody says minority, I say, stop, please. Think about what you're saying, because you're diminishing yourself. You're not a minority. You are actually the majority. Uh, and in, in due time, you'll be the majority here. You'll be majority, even here in D.C., People will be in a, major, in a predominantly like black gathering and they say, uh, us minorities here in this room is like, what? You know, like, or, or my favorite one is that, oh, the city is now changing. It's becoming a majority minority city. It's like, who comes up with those types of terms? Majority minority is like, wow. You know, talk about a convoluted way of staying on top. You know, it's like, I'm going to be on top no matter what. I'm going to try to convolute every word possible to remain at the top. And that's strange. I mean, so I, for me, it's like, I try not to think about it too much, honestly, about like, why is it that I'm attracted a certain way or another way? Why am I focused on this stuff? I just look for issues of justice. I look for issues of, of making the world a better place. And I find that space to be much more flexible when you're dealing with brown and black folks. Can I ask, um, when you thought to open restaurants, was your plan to use those restaurants to like, as leverage for yourself to like, if you're running for mayor, it's because you think you can make things better, right? Right. So like, was that there in the beginning or did you just want a successful restaurant? Like, no, it, was, it was there from the beginning. I mean, I, I, I um, built the place with those foundations in mind. I had a purpose. Uh, food is powerful. It's a powerful tool. It uh, brings people together. Um, you know, once they come together, they break bread, you can actually have an impact. You can say things to people. Uh, you can talk to them. You can um, look to them eye to eye. And 
a lot of barriers come down when you're eating together. And I saw the power of food. And, and I've, I, I see America sick. I see America needs a lot of healing. Uh, and I felt like I can't change America. That's way too arrogant of anyone to say that. Uh, but I feel like I can change my tiny little world, whatever that is, whether it's a corner of a city, whether it's uh, my neighborhood, whether it's my neighbors, whatever, I can have an impact. I can have an impact of people walking to the door at Busboys and Poets, not by taking a hammer, hitting them over the head and say, look, look at this, look at this, look at this, but really to sort of infuse them with love, infuse them with kindness, give them a wonderful meal to enjoy, and then throw in a little music and throw in a little art and see a little poetry in there and maybe a panel conversation and maybe they pick up a book on the way out. And that's how change, I think, begins to really take shape. And I see transformations happening all the time that way. I got a million questions, so I'm going to let you ask. Go ahead. <laughs> I think um, the approach that you take, that you took, and the idea that you had in opening your restaurant takes a little, uh, a lot of fearlessness, right? Because, I mean, it's not the typical uh, business model for a restaurant, as I guess the 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 investors, investors let you know. Yeah. Um, and so there's a good chance that it may, and there's a lot of negativity, I'm sure, that you heard that it, it may not work. Um, so I want to know how you were able to um, stay focused on your goal, because obviously it was a mm. successful idea in more ways than just having a successful restaurant. And I also learned about some fears that you uh, work to overcome, like your stuttering and your, your fear of heights. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, if you could just talk about how you actively work to overcome your fears. Well, the the bank that finally gave me money was Industrial Bank. The Black-owned black bank. bank. Yeah, Black-owned Bank, right? They got it because they were in U Street. They understood the history of U Street. They understood the poetry tradition on that street. They understood the, uh, the historical context that I was bringing in, and they got it, and they gave me the money. Hmm. Kudos to uh, Industrial Bank. Um, as far as overcoming fears, you know, I, um, I don't think of myself as fearless. I, I don't, that's not really, I think that's a nice thing to say, but, you know, there are things that scare me and, and I don't like to be around them. Uh, but I feel that I am willing to take risks. Um, I feel, I don't feel alive unless I'm taking risks. And I feel like um, taking risks is, to me, is like breathing. Uh, if I'm not taking risks, I don't feel like I'm living. So it's a constant thing. It's, a, it's always walking that edge, always walking to, that, to, the, to, the, to the cliff, you know, and, and really kind of testing the boundaries and pushing further and so on. I feel like too many people are just too much into, like, staying in their lane and just doing the thing that is that they're you know told to do and and they stay in that space and i feel like it, it's it's not a good world when you have that you know they say if you just follow a path you're going to always be looking at somebody's behind mm-hmm. you know so it's for me it's also trying to forge a new path figure out a different way because if 
you know, we can all agree the world is not perfect. We can all agree that maybe some things should be different. And if we keep doing the same thing over and over again, it's not going to change, right? It's going to get worse, maybe. Uh, so try different things. You know, I'm always willing to try something new and something different. You know, I'm, what's, I'm, what's the, the most recent thing that you tried that was new? Oh, gosh. Um, so many things. I, 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 um, I mean, running for office is, is, is definitely a, a, a challenge. Right. I'm thinking about doing it again. Really? Oh, yeah. Why? Are you unhappy with the current administration? Uh, well, you know, the current administration, I think, has... Um, You're talking about mayor, mayor well, of D.C.? Well, let's not be specific at this moment. Okay. okay? So, so I, I think, I think what, what happens is the city is changing very rapidly, yes. right? For most people, it's like amazing, right? Things are great. I mean, look around here. No, right? you got to have a lot of money for it. To be yeah. yeah, I mean, look around here. Um, I opened my place in Southeast, in Anacostia, and I see the enormous challenges that parts of the city continue to have. 19% unemployment. Did you know that it's 19% unemployment east of the river? I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I think you it's might ridiculous. get a sense of it if you are from out of town and you walk around. Right, exactly. Right. But it's nineteen percent unemployment. It's it's got more than half the people haven't graduated from high school. More than fifty percent of the people that live there, poverty is very real and very toxic. And the city has a lot of potential because it's got a lot of money. We got a city with a sixteen billion dollar budget. You know, buildings are being built everywhere. Lots of developers, people are making shitload of money here, right? But yet it's not, it's trickling down, but it's trickling like a drip. And the drip isn't enough to fix what's been disrepaired for so many years and so many decades and centuries, if you want to go there. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to propose a reparations fund that goes to repair the damage because it really is a reparation that needs to happen for parts of the city and communities here in this city who have been left behind, left to fend off for themselves, and been given nothing more than Band-Aids to fix a cancer that cannot be fixed with a Band-Aid. So imagine this. You live in a house. It's got a leaky roof. You, can, you, have a, you have a little money. You have a couple choices. You can put a tarp over the roof and hope that another rainstorm doesn't blow it off. Or during a good time when the sun is shining and the weather is great and everything is fine and you got money in pocket, spend it on fixing the goddamn roof. It's going to require a little more money, but you know what? It's going to pay off in the long run. You're not going to have a leaky roof for the rest of your life. This is the time, I believe, that this city has. It's a window. Right. We've got lots of money and we have the will. You know, there are people out there that are willing to go out for this. We have a city council that's pretty progressive and we have to really demand a reparations fund that I've already thought about it. One percent of the entire budget, which is one hundred sixty million dollars that goes directly to repair the housing situation, the schools, the healthcare situation, safety issues, you name it, mental health, lots of stuff that is so far behind than the rest of the city. You said so much. There's a, <clears throat> there's a lot of places we could take it, but I think a lot of people are going to get caught up on that word rep reparations. Yeah. 
Because I notice whenever I good, yeah, whenever I say that around someone who isn't black, they're like, "Get the fuck out." Uh, <laughs> so, what does that mean to you? I, I just want reparations be is actually repairing. It's it's a word, right? It, reparation. You repair something. It's an admittance of something has been done that's wrong. We can all agree to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, sixteen nineteen has been a word and a, and a phrase that's been pushed around for the past few weeks. Everybody's been hearing about it, right? It's the four hundred anniversary of the first. 20 slaves that were brought here on, on chains to the United States. And really, that set in motion a whole series of things that has kept a certain group of people way, way behind, where others have advanced so far ahead on the backs of those people. So there's only one other way to fix it. It's not enough to just say, we're going to give you like affirmative action. We're going to give you a little bit of a leg up. No, it can't be just... Well, I'm going to give you two steps ahead. I got to give you a mile ahead because I put you back 10 miles. So you got to be able to catch up. So this idea of giving up on that sense of supremacy, giving up on that sense of uh, entitlement that some people have, uh, is going to be t- tough. But I do believe DC actually has a potential to act on this. We have because, a lot of money. Yeah, because we have the money and we have the city council, like I said, who's fairly progressive. Most of them are white. And, you, you know, guilt is good. You know, it, it, it brings people where they need to be sometimes. And I think you can force it. And people in Southeast and people in areas that have been neglected for so many decades have to rise up, have to speak up, and have to descend en masse at the city council and demand that this stop. Because the illness that's there, the, the amount of, of, of... Just two days ago, there was a shooting. Yeah. A teenager got killed. And that's like become normal. Why is it normal in some parts of the city to have 50% dropout rate? You have unemployment that's crazy. You've got people getting shot every other day. You have a, you have a city that's been, you know, that's growing like crazy. And yet the benefits aren't really benefiting the individuals living there. A building doesn't make for a benefit to someone who has nothing. So I think there's a potential. So I'm not afraid of the word reparations. I think it's a good word. So I want to, we have to honor our time today because. Oh, um, fuck time. Yeah, no, no. Keep going. But no, no <laughs> I, I, think, I think we just need to schedule another time. I'm, so, this, I'm sorry. Have this, have this conversation because I think it's a, a really good uh, conversation. So I'm going to ask some kind of some closing questions, even sure. though I'm curious because you decided to, to sell books in a restaurant. What books changed your life? Oh, um, one of my favorite is. Um, is the alchemist? Uh, you love that. That's I your... love that. My... <laughs> yeah, one of this top three for me. It's it's really it's such a beautiful book, right? It, because it's a it's a business book and mm-hmm. it's a it's a life book. It's all kinds it's a of perseverance book. Perseverance. It's a faith book. It's, it's a um, not not allowing your current circumstances to distract Absolutely. you from whatever your Absolutely. Your goal you got him started. That's um, his book. I I, I uh, one of my favorite is is uh, the Big C. It's Langston Hughes' biography. It's a beautiful book that he, he wrote. Um, I Wonder as I Wonder is his other biography, which is fantastic, and I highly, highly recommend it. Um, what did I just... Oh, I, I just finished reading, uh, again, uh, Native Son, uh, Richard Wright. Yeah. Uh, what a powerful, what a powerful story. And we're starting a book club, uh, a James Baldwin book club. 
So we are starting actually on the 29th of September. How, do, how, do, how does one join this book club? <laughs> the, the book club is uh, going to be in uh, Tacoma Park, Bus Boys and Poets. Uh, it meets from 9 to 11 on Sundays, on Sunday morning. You want to do it early so people get out of the way and do their thing. Um, and the first book uh, that we're going to be touching is uh, The Fire Next Time. Um, so. Oh my God! Wow, we're looking at tattoos. Yeah, yeah. I have the, the title of the, the book tattoo. Right. Me. So, uh, a recent book was just written called "The Fire Is Upon Us," yeah. uh, which is kind of a, uh, a talk about that, and and it speaks about the uh, the uh, the Baldwin uh, Buckley debate that took place in Cambridge. Yeah, I think sixty. I was say sixty three. I can't remember exact date, exact year, but anyway, it was a in. in Incredible debate for someone that hasn't seen it. YouTube it. It's fantastic. I have a personal question before we let you go. Kind of personal. but So I live in Northeast near uh, Capitol Heights area. Mm-hmm. And I heard a rumor that the owner of Busboys and Poets may be opening a restaurant uh, in my neighborhood. In Northeast? Yeah. Uh, there was a plot of land that was supposed to be where Walmart was going to go. And the city got worked by walmart so they only opened the, no, the 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 one in ward six yeah the 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 upper the northwest walmarts and they didn't do the southern right, parts of the right, city right, right and so now this is open plot of land and i you know well there was there was a conversation maybe like are you talking about skyland maybe i think that's what it's called yeah. yes is that no this is northeast this is skyland? northeast yeah, yeah, yeah skyland southeast yeah um i i i don't have any plans right now to do that i, I mean thought, I, I get approached by a lot of developers a lot okay. of times to, to ask me to open a place there, but I, I, I don't want to oversaturate, you know, what's happening here in the city. I think there's room for other places to do their thing as well. And, you know, we have five locations now in the city. Uh, well, I thought it was going to be, you were going to reopen Eatonville. I was. I was really thinking about that. I'm still okay. thinking about it. Uh, I loved Eatonville. People really liked Eatonville. It was, it was a great, but, you know, toward the end of Eatonville, people kind of stopped Loving it as much? Nah, I sat and got cussed out by um, <laughs> oh. who did I get cussed out by? Uh, Dick Gregory for about three hours. That's right. Dick Gre- it was one of his favorite places. He used to hang out at the bar all the time. Uh, literally three hours, and he—you—he's ne- the best person in the world to be cussed out by because you felt the energy of love behind it. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was just like you were talking to someone older, and he wanted you to shut the fuck up. And get and the just message. Yep. Yeah, just and get just the message. Listen. Every time I said two words, he I got cussed he, the fuck out. He knew he had a limited amount of time and he needed to get the message out to as many people as possible. Yeah. It was beautiful. But we got to honor our time. Yeah. Um, it was something I want to say thank you for one thing you said in particular, even though I can pick a bunch. It was about owning your words because I, I for us, sometimes I feel like we give away our power a little too quickly. Um uh, the white man needs to be justice or, or provide us with justice. It's just, we're powerful. And I'm not being the most articulate today. I told you my words got up and ran and left my body. But I just loved hearing that. I love owning what you're saying and like owning your power and not finding ways to give it away. So I, I don't know if you have anything You know, else that comes with age. You know, when you get older, you don't give a shit. I mean, ask, ask uh, Dick Gregory. He'll tell you, you know. I mean, he's always been fearless on uh, many levels. Uh, but, you know, at some point you feel like, you know what? I got time and I can make an impact. And I don't really give a shit what happens at this point in my life. I, I you know, I've done everything I wanted to do. So here we are. Thank you, Mr. Shalal. Andy. Andy, yep. for joining us. Thank you for sharing your time. 
Um, if you want to hear this podcast or any other podcast, you can uh, any other of our podcasts, you can hear us at windowseat.fullserviceradio.org, or you can download our podcast, Window Seat Podcast, on iTunes or any platform that you listen to podcasts. And Until if, next time. Yeah, again. if anyone hasn't told you today. Yeah, peace. I love you. We love you. Peace. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>